Well, have you been blessed and encouraged, beloved? Praise the Lamb. Boy, what Brother Mike, the anointing God's given him to lead this team. Hey, take your copy of God's Word. I want you to go to Jonah. We are uh, in a series in the little Old Testament book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 2 is where we're going to resume our place today. We began that journey in chapter 2 last week, and we looked at two very prevailing truths, very applicable to uh, where we are. That's the beauty of the Word of God. You don't have to make it relevant. It's eternally, inerrantly, infallibly errant, um, uh, relevant every time. Now, uh, what we got to deal with this morning is a little bit of a, uh, of a subject that is, um, well, to say the least, is controversial in uh, the American church. And it is, at the very best, an uncomfortable truth that even for the believer, because it's a sobering reminder of what I believe is just around the corner. So what we're going to do is uh, to set the tenor and the tone from uh, Jonah chapter 2, we're going to unpack this passage in all 10 verses, but we're going to hone in on specifically one particular truth that Jonah's given us. So from Jonah chapter 2, that's our text, uh, beneath this title, How Low uh, Can We Go? Uh, is our focus for just a few moments. It is our custom, if you can, no condemnation if you can't, to rise out of reverence for the reading of God's holy word. It's on the screen if perhaps you don't have access to it. And if you need a copy of the word of God, nothing would please this faith family called Fairview Knox more than to sow that into your life. So look with me at verse 1 of chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from, his, from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me, and your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple, the waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down into the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me. Yet you have brought, me up, brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols... Forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you. With the voice of thanksgiving, I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray every care and concern in this old weary, wicked world would melt for just a moment. For just a minute, give us, I pray, O oh God, undivided attention, not upon the preacher, not upon the facility, but upon your everlasting life-changing truth that no spirit but the Holy Spirit would have any authority in this room in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Uh, when you uh, deal with a particular topic that we're dealing with today, in just a moment, I'll let you know what that is. Sometimes, as Aunt Dot would say, sugar helps the medicine go down. And uh, while I enjoy uh, humor, because it does, it is the sugar that sometimes helps the sermon. Uh, my humor is not always uh, orthodox. 
meaning this, it doesn't always match doctrinal purity, but it serves its purpose. So let me share with you the setting for where we're heading. Uh, There was an engineer, one of our great University of Tennessee graduates who was an accomplished, lauded engineer who died uh, uh, unexpectedly. And he showed up at a, at a time when heaven was really busy. And there was a long line and uh, paperwork got mixed up and St. Peter got a little frustrated. And you know St. Peter, he's known for being impetuous and he was trying to hurry things along. And he noticed the engineer was frustrated and he was shuffling papers. And he said to the engineer, listen, buddy, there's been a, there's been a mistake. You're, you're not even supposed to be here. And he immediately sent him to the other place. Well, that engineer got down there and doing what engineers do, he looked around in hell and he said, yo, this just isn't going to work at all. So he worked uh, for a few weeks and wasn't long till he had kind of uh, put together an air conditioning system. Yeah, put an air conditioning system together. But it wasn't long after he had put in an AC unit and he noticed that uh, there, there wasn't any refrigeration in hell. Well, it wasn't long, boy, he developed a unique system of refrigeration, actually reversed thermodynamically, reversed the heat of hell and created refrigeration. Boy, hell was just having a great day. and He even went so far as to create an escalator system, which is very biblical because there's levels of hell. We'll talk about that in a minute. Well, God being God, he decided to check in on hell one day and he called and Satan picked up the phone. God said, I want to know how things are going in hell. And Satan said, I'll tell you what, it's better than it's ever been. Said, there's an engineer down here. He's put in an AC unit. We've got refrigeration and said, we don't even have to worry about going to different levels. Said, we got an escalator. God immediately stopped and in his omniscience, he paused for a second and he said, now, wait a minute, that engineer's not even supposed to be there. And Satan said, well, I'm telling you right now, we're not letting him go. And God said, well, I'm going to tell you something. That engineer is supposed to be here. And Satan said, you think I rebelled initially. You just, do, you just try to take him out of here. I'm going to rebel like you've never seen. God said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll take you to the courts of eternity. And Satan said, well, good luck finding a lawyer. <laughs> now, now, let me tell you all the funny part of that. I wasn't going to tell that in the second service because I thought my son-in-law was coming to the second. I told it in the first, and I said, now, I'm not going to tell that in the second service because my son-in-law will be here, and I love to aggravate him, but I'm not going to embarrass him. He was sitting right up there in the corner, bigger than life. <laughs> Sashayed right into the connection point to grin at me when he, uh, after the end of the service, but he needed it. Amen? <laughs> now, now, listen, in, 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 here's, here's what we got to deal with. What, just for the moment, let's go back and rehearse what God showed us out of his word last week. We're dealing with, um, we're dealing with a very tough subject on both hands. We're dealing not only with with the loving discipline of a heavenly father, but we're dealing ultimately with the destination of those who reject the love of the father. So last week, we unpacked two very simple biblical truths. Number one there, we talked about uh, the proof in correction. Now, now take your copy of God's word and go back if you would and and look at uh, the end of verse two and verse three. He said, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep in the heart of the seas. Now you remember last week, this is a little bit of a this is a little bit of a controversial place for those who are casual readers of the Word of God. 
In fact, for the critic, for the cynic, this is one of those places they like to peel apart the book of Jonah because they're immediately going to say something like this. Oh, there's a contradiction. There it is right there. Uh, God did it. God cast him in because now here's the problem, preacher. Jonah, by his own testimony, now look what he's done. He's, he's left the autobiographical uh, uh, narrative of the book. He stepped away from uh, giving uh, the narrative third person of what's happening with, with the great fish and with the sinfulness of Nineveh and his rebellion. And now in chapter two, this is what he does. He stands up old fashioned, like he was just in one of them old fashioned funeral fan, wasp flying, Holy Ghost filled Baptist churches. And he says, now, wait a minute. I got to testify. I got to tell somebody something. I want you to know, I'm not going to give the narrative of what happened. I'm going to give testimony. And I'm telling you, God put me in the belly of that whale. Now here's the problem. The problem is, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 15, the Bible's very explicit. It's the sailors that put him in there. But Jonah, like we explored last week, what Jonah's beginning to learn is that God's so sovereign that even the circumstances we can't comprehend, God's already orchestrated. And we talked about the proof of correction. The fact that Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that if we can live as believers, high-minded, high minded, handsome, arrogant, just living in complete, total, antithetical truth of what God says and yet claim his name. Preacher, I'm going to tell you something. I, I'm living in sin. And God, hadn't, God hadn't one time removed his blessing, hadn't put a hand to this one. Listen to me. The Bible says you may not be of legitimate birth. You better be careful. You better be careful walking in it. And I'm going to say this parenthetically very quickly. Part of, part of the proof of God's correction is that he chastens his own. Those that are of illegitimate birth, they live any way they want. I'm, I'm going to say this to you very quickly as we make our way to the, to the one major point we've got left in this particular chapter. Those of us that um, decide to live outside of the will of God and the revealed word of God and the leadership of the Holy Spirit, I want you to understand you're not just simply bringing uh, the, the discipline of God on your own life. You are creating an absolute matrix of misery for those who love you. And especially among the younger contingency in this room, I want, I want you to hear this preacher. Listen to me. You cannot know. Don't pretend that you do know. In fact, I was reminded uh, by those who were visiting from our hometown this morning. I was reminded of this in the first service. There was a young man that uh, I had the privilege of pastoring him and his family, and he had just become the prodigal. He'd become rebellious. His parents were up all night. They had ulcers. They, their, their family was, was reaping the harvest of wickedness of this boy, and, and he, they, they wanted me to liaison, to be the arbitrator. And They brought him into my office, and in his stiff-necked arrogance, this is what he said to me. He said, Preacher, I'm going to tell you right now. I, I'm sick of listening to what they say. I'm sick of trying to be home when they say. I'm sick of doing what they tell me to do. I'm a 17-year-old grown man, and I know what I want. And at that point, he'd already planned it. At that moment, he pulled out of, out of his jacket pocket and slammed it down on my desk in front of his parents. He said, in fact, I'm going to tell you, I'm sick of anybody telling me what to do. And he laid down the papers that he had just signed and said, I'm going to the Marine Corps. <laughs> How many of you know sin will make you stupid? <laughs> Listen, you, you, your rebellion it's not limited to you. you, you until, until you have your, your, your own family, until you hold in your breast 
your own children, until you watch and listen to the pitter-patter of little feet and the swoosh of a diaper in the multi-generations of the blessing of God, you cannot begin to imagine what it is for a parent to wonder where you are and what you're doing when they've begged you in the name of God not to go, as Proverbs says in chapter 13, the way of the transgressor, the way of the sinner is hard. It's not just hard on you. It's hard on everybody around you. Because not only, not only are, are you headed down a road God's trying to keep you from going down, but we've been down that road. And listen to me, Goober Gump, we know where the stumps are. You, you Just pay attention. We'll tell you where not to go. But if you want to go ahead, get you a handful of it. We'll see you on the other side of stupid. Amen? So see, there's, peru- there's proof in correction. But then we talked about the purpose of correction. And we explored the fact that there's a deeper something going on. Now, I'm going to unpack this, and, and we're going to walk through this very quickly. I'm, a, I'm going to explore not only the, the, the purpose, and, but the protection. Now, watch, watch, watch this, what he says in verse 2. He says, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. Now, there are five different terms used in the Word of God for what we call synonymously. We just blanket it, call it hell. But there are five different places, actually, uh, five different words used in the Word of God. Now, I'm going to share something with you that you perhaps may kind of recoil initially, but I'm simply going to lay this out there. There's not a point of fellowship. We're not going to fight and fuss and divide over this because, number one, it's in the Bible. <laughs> I personally believe I'm under the deep conviction that this Sheol in, in this particular passage, as well as in multiple other passages, and even currently, which I'm going to show you in just a moment, is actually located in the heart of the earth. According to Numbers chapter 16, verse 32 and following, I believe that Sheol is a holding chamber. I believe that's also proven by the fact that when you get to the end of the gospel of Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is going to allude to the fact that that at that great white throne judgment, which we're about to talk about in just a moment, that in the heart of the earth right now, now I know what you're saying because this is how we're trained to think in the American Greek philosophical uh, bent that we have on the scriptures. The, the scriptures are not Greek philosophically to handle. They are Hebrew, and you and I do not handle the Word of God in the flesh. We handle the Word of God in the Spirit. Perhaps you have seen people sit in this room. In fact, I'm, I'm confident I witnessed this in this last service just a few moments ago, and I'm not speaking out of turn or out of confidence. I'm confident I saw this happen in this room that, that there, was some, there were some in this room in that last service who were confronted with an eternal truth that if they die today, they are going to step into an eternal darkness called, called hell. And we wonder, well, how can you sit in a room where the music is anointed and the preaching is pointed and, and the, 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 the Spirit of God is moving? Because you can't get saved on your time by your intellect. Jonah says it very clearly, salvation is of the Lord. Beloved, you, you, you can't just sit here this morning and say, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to listen, and I'm, I'm going to weigh it out, and I'm going to debate it in my own heart and mind. And when I get out of this room, I'm going to go home. And when I get ready, when I get all the sinning in I want, and I've done all that I want to do and had all the fun that I think I deserve to have, then at, at, when it comes time, then I'm going to find Jesus. Beloved, you don't find Jesus. Jesus finds you. Amen. He said, I, I was in Sheol. Now, why do I believe that it's in the heart of the earth? Number one, I believe it's in the heart of the earth because number 16 identifies it as such. And you don't go to hell in the flesh. 
Because we're, we're inclined to say, well, you mean to tell me that millions upon millions throughout the eons that have rejected Jesus, who rejected the gospel, either in the Old Testament, the foretelling of the coming of Messiah, or, or after the death, burial, and resurrection, the fact that he did come, we re- they rejected that. You mean to tell me that millions upon millions are in a holding chamber in a place called Sheol in the flesh? No, beloved, I, 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 I know this is hard for us to comprehend, but more real than the body you're sitting in, more real than the sensation you have, more real than the pew you're sitting on, there is something inside of you called a soul and a spirit that will never die. That body you're sitting in, it is decaying. Let me tell you what housekeeping will do over the next week. They're going to come through this room and they're going to vacuum up part of you because all of us are leaving pieces of us all over this room, some more than others. Because you're deteriorating, you're dying, we're under the curse. But those of us who've been born again, there is something inside of us that has passed from death unto life. And because of the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ and the sealing of the Holy Spirit of God, you and I will never taste death because those who have been born twice only die once. But if, beloved, you believe this and you hear this preacher well, if, if you are only born once of natural descent, you will die twice because death is coming. So in this Sheol, what, 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 what is God doing? He's saying, now listen, there's a purpose in, in my correction. Now, now, Jonah, you didn't want to go where I wanted you to go. You didn't want to do what I wanted you to do. So I'm going to have to bring a set of circumstances into your life. Now, anytime that you and I are in a set of circumstances that are beyond us, we, we're, we're experiencing some trial, tribulation, suffering, or sorrow, there's really only three reasons for that. Number one is either sin in my life, and as such, according to Hebrews 12, Jonah chapter 2, God's got to bring me into a sovereign set of circumstances where that, as the psalmist said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. God so lovingly, graciously corrects my behavior by creating a set of circumstances that I can't live in my sin. Now, that's one reason we go through it, sin. But be careful. And, And we're bad about this as religious people. We will often say to people that are hurting, well, there must be sin in your life. Remember the book of Job? Remember them three dudes that showed up and said, well, I'll just tell you. <laughs> in fact, one of them goobers said, now, this is in the Bible. One of them goobers said it this way. Well, you know, Job, I knew your kids and they had it coming. Can you imagine? I'm going to tell you something. I believe Job could have killed him until God he died and God been okay with it. What kind of nonsense is that? No, what any sin in Job's life. Now, there are sovereign circumstances where God just says, listen, I need to grow you. You, you're, the, the Bible calls us a field. Your field, the, the fertile, rich soil that I've been planting and pouring. You've got, you've got Bible teachers and connection group. You've been meeting with other men. You've been meeting with other women. And I've been pouring through podcasts and songs and sermons and different things. I've been pouring into your life and it's just falling on fallow, hard, crusty ground. But beneath that old dry crusty ground that's overgrown with the brambles of life. I need to put the plow of the gospel. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to set up a set of sovereign circumstances to bust up your field so I can plant something new in you. Uh, Then there, uh, from sin to the sovereign, there are satanic times. There's just times when satanically we're going to go through attacks. It's just part of it. Jonah's circumstance is is, is, is... a sovereign set of circumstances brought on by his sin. Now I'm going to submit to you this morning that this is not metaphorical. I don't think that God, that Jonah said, hey, I ended up in hell. 
metaphorically. Number one, Jesus confirms this in Matthew chapter 12 and in and Luke chapter 11. In fact, he of all the prophets of all the Old Testament pages, he picks up Jonah as a prophet and parallels his own experience after the death at Calvary with that of Jonah. As Jonah was in the, in the belly of the whale, the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Now you mean to tell me, preacher, that now wait a minute, how could he be in the belly of the whale at the same time that his soul is in hell? Because he died. I think he's laying in that casket, that coffin called a whale, and, and, and the soul, the spirit of Jonah has gone down into a place called Sheol because God had to remind him something. In fact, I'm going to submit something to you. I, I, I personally, in my, in my own private praise and prayer time, in my devotional Bible, I want you to look down, uh, if you would, at um, verse, well, I lost it. Where's it at, Pastor Richie? You've already heard this sermon once. Verse 2, I want the one where he's uh, um, separated. Four. Look at verse 4. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. That, that is, in my estimation, that is the single greatest working definition of hell that I know of. Now, 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 now stay with me. Do you remember that moment when the Holy Spirit of God dropped the scales from your eyes and gripped your heart and you came to the saving knowledge of Jesus? Do you remember that moment when you found out you didn't have to work your way there, that it was already paid for at Calvary? There wasn't any money you could give. There was no church you could go to. There was nothing you could do in order to earn the erratical, incredible gift of God's saving grace. And in that moment when the Holy Spirit of God showed you and I how wicked we were, but at the same time how righteous he is. And in that moment, through the invitation of the Holy Spirit of God, he bid us by the gripping, wooing, captivating power of the Holy Spirit and said to us, you could be born again today. You could become a child of God. I believe in my personal estimation that the single greatest working definition of hell is right here in the book of Jonah when he says it this way. He says, I'm, 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 I'm separated from you. I'm, I'm away from you. Where are you, God? Now, here's what the critic would say. Well, now, see there, preacher, you've already proven your point. Because I thought the Bible said in multiple places, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Lo, I am with you always. That's exactly what the scripture says. He's not saying that God is not sovereignly with him, what he's saying is, I don't sense God's presence anymore. Do you know what hell's going to be? It's going to be the absence of a loving, caring, giving father. And see, those of us that are not born again, those in this room or perhaps watching online, right now you're living in a nation. I understand it's spiraling out of control. And let me just pause here and say something parenthetically because I, I need to speak to someone that watches me online whom I've spoken to through the modern miracle of email. They love to watch my stuff and then send me emails and tell me, for example, they are upset with me that uh, I keep paralleling where we are, you know, the, the fact that prophetically where we are according to Bible scripture, and that I keep highlighting the fact that as biblical believers, not standing politically with Israel, but biblically, we are praying for the peace of Israel. And they emailed me lately, and I, I, I want to say to them, I wouldn't dare say this, and I'm sure they won't hear it. What I want to say to them is, you know, you've never emailed me and gotten anything out of my sermons. You've never been edified or equipped. You don't ever testify to knowing God better. All you ever do is highlight what you don't agree with. And what I want to say is, shut up. Just shut up. Shut, shut up. Go watch somebody else. But I would never say that. I would never say that. So having never said that, I would just say this, because they recent they sent this after the uh, sermon um, that I preached on uh, 
us standing biblically with Israel, and they simply said, your analogy is, 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 doesn't work because we're, you know, this is just like World War II, and it's all going to be, no, 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 it's not like World War II. No, it's not. It's not even close to World War II. Let me just pause here and say this. It's not like World War II because it, is, it grieves me to even have to mention this. This is not the same nation we were in the 30s and 40s. Do you understand that? We're not the same people. Who in their mind would believe today watching over 300,000 stand in the very streets of our national capital, climbing the fence of the White House, screaming uh, from the river to the sea, set them free. Let me translate that for you. That means every Jew has to die. Who in this room would have believed that we would have ever come to the place where that, that students at Harvard and Yale and Cornell and Columbia have to hide, sequester themselves because of their Jewish, Jewish ethnicity in their dorm rooms because their lives are being threatened. By the way, Harvard and Yale were started as schools to raise up and equip preachers to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And number two, just in case you're still watching, Goober, I want to say to you in the name of Jesus, I want to just say while you're stuck on stupid, in, in World War II, Israel was not back in the land. And if you'd study the Bible, you would discover that the tick-tock of God's holy clock prophetically did not start until May of 1948. And before Hitler had gotten his ovens dismantled, God sovereignly took the very act agony of the extermination camps and, and planted Israel back in the land which he had already prophesied according to the book of Isaiah who has seen such a thing that a nation should be born in a day. So in May of 1948 everything changed. And, and while I'm there let's just hang out a moment. I was not brought up in a Christian home. I don't mean that disrespectfully to my parents. I love them deeply passionately. I honor them in accordance with the word of God. My dad was not a man of God. My, my, we didn't come up around the things of Christ. In the neighborhood I grew up in before I left, uh, was forced to leave my home as a teenager because of my drunkenness and things that were going on in my home. Across the street, quite literally across the hedge, was the chairman of deacons of the largest Baptist church in that town. After I came to Christ, it was noised abroad because my life had so radically changed and I was such a different person. It began to be broadcast around the community. We really think Labor got saved. That man stopped me in a public place, that deacon, that chairman of deacons of the largest Baptist church in our community, and this is what he said to me. He said, Jeff, I owe you an apology. He said, I, I lived across the hedge from you. You know that your whole childhood. In fact, the night your dad threw you out in a drunken stupor, I watched him throw your things out on the front yard and I watched you limp out of that house with blood running down your brow and get into your car and leave. He said, I've heard you come to Christ. I'm going to be honest with you. I never came across that hedge. I never shared the gospel with you. I never ever told your family about Jesus Christ to be candid with you. I never thought any of you would ever get saved. I'll say something to you. That's Nineveh's, that's, that's Jonah's problem. Jonah said to God, God, you don't know them Ninevites. Listen, I've said it to God since I moved here. Have you met these people? <laughs> that's why I said to God. <laughs> I do love you. Every now and then I get bored and I need, I need a break. I need to come out of my study. I need to walk out of the office. I need to get away from the, the burden of, of ministry and there's a place I go to entertain myself. It's free, it doesn't cost anything, and it never, ever fails. Never, ever fails. I go there quite, 
you know, with some frequency. I never buy anything, but it's always, it's always, it's always a point of entertainment because our people gather there. It's called Rule King. I want you to try it. I want you to try it. I've never one time, not one time, have I ever been there and not left feeling normal. My wife says to me, why do you go to Rule King? I said, honey, it's amazing. You never know what you're going to see there. This particular day, she called. She said, where are you doing? I said, man, it's been a heavy day at the office. There's a lot going on. We, a lot of our people are hurting. I just need to take a breath. I'm going to Rule King. <laughs> Not Dollywood, Rule King. She's just hung up the phone. I don't ever buy anything. I just meander through the aisles, and I watch all these people eat the free popcorn. I don't eat the popcorn, but I watch them. This particular day, I got to the back of the store, and, and it was a, I'll be honest with you, it was a little bit of a disappointing day. There weren't quite as many characters. <laughs> if you ever get bored, just watch people. God has a keen sense of humor. <laughs> Please don't, don't point. Um, so I came down this aisle, and, and it was, it was kind of congested, but all at, as I got to the mouth of the aisle, all at once... Like popcorn went flying everywhere and people just scampered like rats. But there was one guy standing in the middle. Now, I'm built low to the ground. Sometimes it takes me a moment to get perspective, you know, where I'm at, what's going on, what's the problem. And I thought, well, that's odd. Why did they all just leave? But there's one dude standing at the end of the aisle. He's just standing there just kind of doing his own thing, eating popcorn. And I kind of sized him up. He's a pretty tall guy. And by the time I got to the top of his head, I thought, oh! Wrapped around his head, he, big old head of hair. Wrapped around his head was a most massive boa constrictor you've ever seen. I got pictures. Don't doubt me. I got pictures. I took pictures. I stood there. I thought, that's the oddest looking dreads I've ever seen. What? Well, what is this? He kind of turned around and smiled. And about that time, that big boa wrapped around his head, that thing, I thought, oh, that's not real, but hey, I got what I needed. I'm going home. Yeah. And about the time I looked at him, that, the head of that boa constrictor just whipped up and went. <laughs> and I, I, you ever said something, you heard yourself say it, and after you heard yourself say it, you said, you shouldn't have said that. Yeah. You ever done that? Oh, yeah. That snake just kind of rolled up off that old boy's head and peeked over his, over his forehead and looked at me and kind of stuck that tongue out. And I said, in the name of Jesus. <laughs> I rebuke you. <laughs> that has nothing to do with my sermon. I just felt like you needed to pause. This is not the same world. It's not the same place. We don't have the same ethic. We don't have the same passion. We're not the same. Who in this room would have believed just a handful of years ago that across the breadth of this land, they would be standing in the streets as Islamic fundamentalists, crying in the very streets that received them to destroy the nation they're standing in. But, but if you stop there politically, you're in trouble. So what God does, God says, now, 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 now Jonah, I need you to do something. Now, I, I'm going to give you a parenthetical thought very quickly as we hasten to a close. I know it's a lot, but I want you to think about it. Now, I, and when we get to heaven... I'm going to spend the first million years finding this person. When I find them, I'm going to bring them to you. Because you, some of you are not going to receive what I'm going to say because you've not lived long enough in, in, in Christianity, in the spirit-led life to understand what I'm about to say. But I'm telling you, I have a sneaking suspicion in my spirit. Nineveh. 
It is the rising Iran of the day. In fact, it's located there. It is, it is the in, in, impregnable, intimidating, military master of the, of the day. They, they, their walls are so thick that we're told archaeologically that three chariots could run around the, around the symmetry of the city and never touch one another. They, they are masters at, at not just, just, just commandeering communities. They pillage and rape and, and peel the skin off of their victims. And, but in that city, I suspect, in that city, I suspect, Somebody in that city had met Jehovah. Somebody one day had a head-on collision with God. And in that moment, they came to the reality that there is a promised seed coming through the, through the seed of Abraham. Somebody had a head-on collision with the grace of God. And some Ninevite who had been worshiping, parenthetically, you ought to know this, Nineveh's chief God in the pantheons was a God, a fish God. Are y'all okay up there? A fish God. Big fish swallows little prophet. Are you with me? Spits him out on the shore. He's washed out. He looks like an albino. Smells like... Go to the nursery. Do you understand what he smells like? That's what he smells like. He shows up at the gate of Nineveh. They peek over. This is washed out albino, stinky looking dude with seaweed in his hair. Yes, can we help you? Yes, um... I just came from a big fish. God has a message. Somebody in that city, somebody in that city, I suspect, had met God. And in that overwhelming, unbelievable moment when the grace of God broke through their darkness and they came to the saving reality that Jesus Christ was coming through the womb of a virgin, they didn't have the fullness of the gospel. They didn't have the canon of the, of the New Testament. They'd never read about a, 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 a gate that's carved from a single pearl and streets that are made from translucent gold. They didn't know anything about the tree of life or the rose of Sharon that's going to be pierced asunder. They just met God. And they began to pray and they said, God, my city, my city, it's, it's, it's blinded by, by demonic activity. It's saturated in carnality. Oh, God, would you send somebody to preach the hope that I have? And God said, yeah, I got just the guy. And Jonah said, no way, God. So what God does is he catches him in his rebellion puts him in the belly of a prepared fish, sinks him to the bottom in a funeral service, and sends his soul to hell for one single solitary reason. For I am separated from you. That's what Jonah said. I don't sense your presence. I don't sense you. Well, church, if you, if you don't hear anything else I say today, please, I'm begging you, hear me. If you don't sense anything else, you won't receive anything else I'm going to say. Don't take for granted that we are a church that has a regular visitation of the sweet spirit of God. Have you ever been in some old moss back, boring? I mean, you couldn't find God in a broom closet on the, you ever been in one of those services? Man, don't take for granted the presence of God. I'm telling you, this nation is being lulled asleep in its prosperity and its affluence. It's, it's oblivious to the fact that there's an event about to take place. We're going to look at it tonight. There's a moment coming. There's a moment coming when just like Jonah, who's swallowed by the whale and dies and goes to a place called Sheol, the holding chamber. Hell is not, hell is not, hell is not open yet. I'll show you that in just a moment. Hell is not open. It's just hell is not the worm that's never satisfied, the flame that never ceases to burn. It's not the thirst and the agony 
destiny. Those are characteristics. I'm telling you, hell is the absence of God. There's a moment coming, and I suspect it's coming soon. There's a moment when nobody knows, not the angels in heaven or even the very Son of God. When God's going to turn from his eternal throne and he's going to look at his son who's seated at his right hand right now, who's ever living to intercede for our nation and churches to rise up and to pursue him in the revival in these last days. And in that moment, God's going to say to the son, get up, prayer meeting's over. And he's going to step up and he's going to say to the Gabriel, the archangel, you better get a hold of that shofar. And at the trump of God, at the trump of God, there are three trumps that are announced in 2 Thessalonians. The first trump notifies, notifies every demon. There's a bride that's about to come up. And those of you that have the, have the power over the prince of the air, don't you touch one, don't you touch one part of them. Don't you even come close. And in that shofar, it's a military shofar that simply puts every seducing, lying, wicked, demon within this sphere and splits them like the Red Sea and says you need to make a way because the bride's about to come home and in that moment there's a second shofar. That shofar is the dead in Christ shall rise and everybody we know, remember the last time you saw them? Their eyes were, were glistened over with Alzheimer's. Their legs were feeble with cancer. Their body was racked from chemo but the next time you see them, whoa, you've never seen them like you're going to see them up, 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 up from the grave. They're coming in that moment. Drop this bag of bones. We that remember shall be with them and the third trump will be here comes the bride in that moment in that moment in that moment the Holy Spirit of God that has sealed us under the day of redemption protected us in the in in the plethora of wickedness in this land in that moment that Holy Spirit will deliver us as a reward to the lamb who is worthy because of his suffering and at that moment this world will experience what Jonah's experiencing. Thy presence is gone from me. No peace. No presence. Where'd everybody go? I believe in that moment it will set the stage for the one who's coming called the Antichrist. He'll usher in the first three and a half years. I want you to think about this with me. Just Three years ago from this week, you and I sat with stunned wonderment. It's not a political statement, it's truth. Three years ago this week, we stood in stunned wonderment as we watched the Abraham Accords being rolled out. Jerusalem had become the the embassy, the center. It had been recognized for the first time in the history of our nation. She was now fully, fully recognized. The embassy was back in Jerusalem. And in the unbelief, unbelief, Abraham Accords, Saudi Arabia was aligning with Israel. Israel was aligning with Saudi. All of the Arab nations that are now in complete fury and fighting were were laying down their, their weapons and you could fly from Tel Aviv into Saudi Arabia from Tel Aviv into Yemen and we all stood and said what is happening how can this be and yet our world is on fire right now you see when you get to Daniel chapter 9 verse 26 it does not say that the Antichrist will sign a renewed uh, a new covenant It, it quite literally in the Hebrew says he will resurrect and reinforce an existing covenant Could it be that the Abraham Accords that were aborted will be the very thing? Because they will say peace and safety and peace and safety. Jonah, I have a prayer warrior over here in Nineveh. And they've cried out to me. 
Now, the natural eye wouldn't perceive them. I suspect perhaps maybe their hands were bent with arthritis or their back was bent over from, from the labor of life. Maybe their hair had turned white and you, you wouldn't think they had any power on. They weren't some athletic, uh, astounding ability. They didn't have the prowess of an Einstein, but they had the hem of the garment of God. See, every revival I've ever been in, it wasn't the preaching that brought the move of God. It was some intercessor in the back, in the background saying, God, do it one more time. Do it one more time. Now, I suspect in this moment is, that one who had had a head-on collision with Jehovah and understood the grace of God began to cry out on behalf of their city. I think what moved the heart of God to go get the prophet Jonah was some prayer warrior or a band of prayer warriors in Nineveh said to God, God, please don't let our city go to hell. Can you imagine this morning? If in the bowels of what we're going through, if in the well of agony of what we're watching happening in our nation, can you imagine what would happen if intercessors began to rise and band together? They weren't worried about the name on the door over the church. They weren't worried about the label that they're operating under. They weren't worried about their politics or their bylaws or their business meetings. They were so hungry for God to touch East Tennessee that they laid down all of their fighting and their fussing and they just got a hold of God and said to God, God, would you save Knoxville? God said, yeah, I, I got just the church. Yeah. The sadness is that Jonah is going to have to go to hell. Because God's got to remind him how bad it is when somebody dies without Jesus. Revelation chapter 20 says that there's a day coming when you and I, when we leave here in the rapture. There's no sign, no symbol, no word, no prophecy that has to be fulfilled for the rapture. I firmly, in fact, I stake my ministry on the imminent return of Jesus, meaning this. Many of us misconstrue. We think the rapture has signs, you know, like pestilence and earthquakes and, 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 and wars. and No, 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 that's the second coming. Th those are signs of the second coming. That's when Jesus comes back to the earth. You and I are going to meet him in the clouds. You understand that? We're, we're going to meet Jesus as the bride. And we're going to spend while hell on earth quite literally unbreaks, breaks out on, on the face of the earth for seven years, that final 70th week of Daniel, while that is transpiring down here in order to bring the world to its knees, in order to bring its, if I could say it this way in the context of our preaching, in order to create a well of a mess to bring them to the end of themselves, there will be untold numbers that under the preaching of the two witnesses and the witness of the 144,000, there will be millions that come to Jesus. You and I will be at the marriage supper, at the, at the Bema seat. We're going to get our robes and our places of authority to come back to the earth at the end of that seven years to minister to the saints and to the people that live on earth that survived through that tribulation. At the end of that seven years, we're going to usher in with the king of kings what is called the millennium. In the German tongue, the millennium is called the Reich. Be here tonight. You're going to want to know what that means. The Reich. The third Reich, the millennium. At the end of the millennium, you and I are going to be summoned by the judge of eternity, Jesus Christ. John chapter 5 says, all judgment has been given to the Son. According to uh, Revelation chapter 19, we are coming back in order to usher in that millennial kingdom. We're coming back on white horses. That's what it says. I've had people say to me, you don't really believe that. I mean, really, white horses? 
It's in the book. I mean, if it, I mean I'm glad it doesn't say this, but it, what if it said you're coming back on cats? I mean, <laughs> probably wouldn't have made it. I mean, horses. Now, I'm, I'm not a big horse guy. Now, don't get offended because we have a lot of people that love horses, and they are majestic animals. But I personally think you ought to leave them alone. They're big. They bite. I'm little. They don't like me. I don't like them. Everybody says, you ought to try riding. I've tried riding. All they do is take me to the barn and rub me off on the side of the barn. That's all they do. <laughs> My wife said to me one day, listen, you've been preaching. All of our, all of our ministry have been preaching. You're coming back literally on a white horse. You're going to have to learn to ride a horse. I said, I don't want to ride a horse. She said, well, you're going to have to learn. So she took me, put me on a horse. After that first lap, she reached over and unplugged that sucker in front of the Kmart because I'd had a comfort. <laughs> I don't like horses. I don't like them. Y'all need to breathe a minute. There's a day coming called the great white throne judgment. Now, I'm, I'm going there as part of the bride to watch the judge of eternity. You get to Revelation chapter 20, you need to understand something. The reason that God sent Jonah into Sheol is because it's a holding chamber. Because just as there's degrees of reward for those of us that are going to heaven... There are five crowns that can be won. That's not the time to go through it, and I don't have the time to do it. There are five different crowns that can be earned as we allow the Holy Spirit to work through us as believers. There are five different crowns of authority. We're going to use the millennial kingdom. But just as there are degrees of rewards in heaven, there are degrees of punishment in hell. So Revelation chapter 20 says this, we've come to the end. We're about to go into eternity. And the judge, the judge, Jesus Christ stands up. He's given every ample opportunity from, from the spinning of the earth on its axis to the creation of Eden, Eden all the way down to the millennial kingdom when he ruled in justice and mercy. And we watched the majesty of resurrection bodies flying from the earth to the, to the celestial city, the bridegroom's home. We, the saints, have ministered to all those on earth and they've rejected the gospel. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 following, and the books, plural, were open. Now, if you're born again, I want you to hear me. Listen to me. You don't, you don't have books. You got a book. You and I don't have books. Our name's in the Lamb's book of life. When you got born again, I'm telling you, 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 they didn't write down your name. They didn't write down. They didn't write down Jeffrey Thomas LeBorg. I got a new name written down in heaven. But at the great white throne judgment. Now, preacher, now wait a minute. How do I not go to the great white throne? Settle out of court. Just settle out of court today. Today, just go to the throne room of God's mercy called Calvary and let him pay what you can't pay because this is what's going to happen. He's going to open the books. And when he opens the books, he's going to judge you by your works. And here's the deal there's no baptism, it's the blood. There's no money, it's the mercy. It's not church attendance, it's not the church he went to. I'm telling you, apart from the blood of the lamb, there's no forgiveness of sin. And he's going to open up the books and he's going to judge you. Why is that? Let's just take an example. I've got two friends that spent most of their ministry aggressively pursuing Hugh Hefner, who was, who was the architect of pornography early in the days of America. Playboy Mansion. Two men that we, Chris and I knew personally that aggressively went after him. Now, let's just say for the moment, when Hugh Hefner, and to my knowledge from both those men, he did not repent. He did not receive Jesus Christ. He right now is in a holding chamber. He's not yet got to the bottomless pit because there is a great white throne. How do you know that, preacher? Because he's going to open up the books. He's going to open up the books, and he's going to say to Hugh, Hugh, come here for a moment. You, 
You rejected every gospel witness. You rejected the wooing of the Holy Ghost of God. You stepped over the line. You sinned as Esau did in the day of grace and mercy. And because of that, he's opening up the books. And Hugh, you're not just going to hell. Now, you're not, you're not going to the same level of hell that, that just the good old boy who sat in here every Sunday and banked on the fact that he was here before I got here and he'll be here after I got here. And he's just a good guy. And there was a day when he walked an aisle and he signed a card and he got in the baptismal waters and he's a good guy. And everybody thinks he's a godly man. But the truth of the matter is he's never, ever met Jesus Christ. He's going to hell, but different. Hugh, come here. That old boy right there played church. He's going to hell. It's his choice. But you, sir, every mind that you twisted, every young man that you introduced that pornography to that began to look at the divine creation of a woman and use her as nothing more than, 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 than something for his own carnal pleasure, then you twisted her mind. And in twisting her mind, what happened to her is she began to think that the only way to get the attention of a man was to give herself over to a man. And she ran through multiple men. And then she got sick of men. And she decided one day she didn't want to be a woman because all men want is what a woman's got. So she went to a surgeon to become something she's not. And she gave herself over to demonic doctrine called gender dysphoria. And in giving herself over to it, she crossed a line. You're guilty of every bit of that. You're going to a level of hell, Hugh Hefner. You're going to be judged at a level. Listen to me carefully. They're going to stand at the great white throne judgment. And they're going to say something like this. Lord, I, I tell you, I, 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 I just, you, before you send me to hell, now wait a minute. I didn't know what church to go to. I mean, Lord, have you been to East Tennessee? <laughs> There's one on every corner. I mean, should I go to the free will, the no will, the up the hill? Where should I go? I didn't know what church to go to. Uh, excuse me. According to Acts chapter 16, verse 31, if thou shalt repent and confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, thou shalt be saved. I didn't say believe on the church. I said believe on me. Now, preacher, now, now Jesus, now wait a minute, now wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, I want to say something. I want to, before you do this, hold on. Now, I, when I was a kid, I walked that aisle and I got in the baptismal pool. Now, I, my name's on the row. He said, I didn't say believe in baptism. I said, believe on me and thou shalt be saved. Now, God, before you send me to hell, I got to ask you something. Do you know Jeff LeBorg? Do you, have you ever heard that, that dude preach? I want you to know on a Sunday morning when he ought to have been comforting people, he ought to have been calling people in the midst of, of political chaos, he ought to be giving us some solace. I want you to know that guy had the unmitigated gall to preach on hell. It offended me, and I never went. He said, I didn't say believe on Jeff LeBorg. I said, believe on me. Now, Lord, now, wait a minute. I gave a lot of money to the church. I, I, didn't, I didn't say money. I said me. Lord, I'd have gone. I, I mean, I, I tell you, but there's hypocrites at that church. Well, <laughs> do tell. <laughs> I didn't say believe on the hypocrite. I said believe on me. You see, beloved, there's a day coming and what God was doing in Jonah's life was he's getting a hold of his heart and his mind and helping him understand there's a day coming. When the people that live just over the hedge from you, kids that you're scared to sit down and talk with because you don't, you don't want to offend them, grandkids that you don't want to think you're some antiquated relic as a grandparent, listen to me, there's a day coming when you're going to stand on, on the right separated as a sheep and look at the goats that are called both great and small and the sea gives them up all and you're going to look at some people that you should have shared the gospel with and say, 
I don't know why. I don't know why. Why didn't I tell him? That's why Jonah is in a well of a mess. Because God had to get a hold of his attention and help him understand. Hell's not bad because of flame. Hell's not bad because of the worm. Now those don't help. It's hell because God's not there. And if you know somebody going, I'm asking you in Jesus' name, ask God to help you. Tell them how to not go there. Y'all remember when our mountains caught on fire? I stayed up all night. Mountains have been a respite for us all of our lives. But for long before we moved here, we came here to rest, take refuge, sit by a stream and settle in the Smokies and let the Holy Ghost speak to us. I stayed up all night that night. Chris had gone to bed and about three o'clock that morning, the news reports were coming in that it was all gone. I didn't know any better. I mean, we saw the footage. I thought, well, it's all gone. Local news said Gatlinburg is a pile of ashes. <laughs> Y'all going to think this is carnal? And I don't care. But I sat in my living room and a big old tear swelled outside of my head and I thought, that's the pancake pantry. <laughs> Go on, judge me. Next time I see you there, you're buying mine. <laughs> it's a special place to me. I love going there. There ain't nowhere on earth like Gatlinburg at Christmas. Right. Amen. Amen? I wish y'all quit telling everybody about it because the world's coming all the time. <laughs> Not long after the fires, I was up there to see a preacher buddy of mine and he showed me where it had wiped out several of the homes of his people. He told me the most amazing story. He said one of his men, the house was going to burn. So the man decided to go outside on the side of the mountain and he called his family to him thick with smoke. And he took one of those long big lighters and he lit the side of the mountain, lit it up on fire. And his son said to him, dad, they're trying to put the fire out. What are you doing? So listen to what dad said. Dad said, son, step back and let it burn all that up. Because the fire can't go where the fire's already been. I'm going to heaven one day. I'm not going to the fires. Because one day they stripped him naked and they hung him between heaven and earth. And the fiery wrath of God fell on the rose of Sharon, who had never done anything but become what I am. And when the fire of God fell on him, it can't fall on me. Because where the fire's been, it can't ever come again. 